Everybody, welcome to today's show. I could not be more excited for today's guest. It's the one, the only Bob Berg. I wish you all could see his face right now because I know he does fantastic on video. But Bob, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I, I just sorry, I just went to uh, the Facebook page to see if that would work somehow, but it but it didn't. So I guess I I guess we're uh, stuck with the voice today. That's and all right. Fortunately, people can see your handsome face, so that's that's uh, oh. that's the count. Well, this is somewhat fitting because I remember recently listening to you on Clubhouse, and so I I am somewhat used to kind of the audio only version of receiving these golden nuggets from Bob. If you guys don't know Bob Berg, he is the the man behind the entire I'll just call it the movement of the Go Giver. It's a book. I know that there's now courses and coaching under that brand as well. And, and Bob, I just I wanted to start off by saying thank you because not only is and people who know your book know how great it is. Not only is your book so powerful, but I joined, you know, this entrepreneurship world about five or so years ago. And I was fortunate enough to find mentors and friends like Mitch Jackson, who you oh, know, yeah. I can't tell you how nice it is to have my entire entrepreneurship journey impacted by people who have been touched by the go-giver. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's just so gratifying here. Thank you. Remind me, when was the go-giver written? On David Mann and I co-authored it in about, I think, 2006 uh once it was once it was get shopped around by our agent went through i think 25 rejections oh my goodness or 24 no 25 and found uh portfolio a division of penguin random house so it, it actually ended up coming out something like december 27th 2007 so by the time it actually got out there it was early 2008 so it's been mm. about 13 years i guess wow that is crazy and again it's when I read your book, there are parts of it that feel so light bulb moment like. And yet, like I said, it's been really cool to have my entire experience in the business world be impacted by people who already get it. So can you can you walk everybody through these main five laws that are in your original Go-Giver book? Sure. And it, it's based on a, a basic premise, Joey, and that is that shifting your focus, and this is really where it all begins, shifting your focus uh, from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to mm -hmm. others. Uh, understanding that doing so is not only a more gratifying way of, of, of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable 
way as well. And, and I think it's important to know that, that the reason it's profitable is, is not for some, you know, way out there kind of woo woo, uh, magical, mystical reasons, just do good things and things will come, you know, uh, that's magical thinking. Uh, it, it's really much more logical than that. It's much more rational. And that is when you are genuinely authentically able to take your focus off yourself and instead place it on serving others, place it on discovering what the other person needs, wants, or desires. When you can move your focus off your off of yourself and onto helping other people solve their challenges and problems, when you can move from a, an I focus or me focus to a focus on helping other people get closer to happiness, if you will, mm-hmm. well, people feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to do business with you when that need arises. Uh, And they definitely want to tell others about you. They want to be what we call your personal walking ambassador. And so with that in mind, as you said, John and I have five uh, laws around that, basically principles. And those are are the laws of value, uh, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. And the five of them basically work together uh, in a harmonic way in conjunction. So it's not a matter of one, two, three, or even four of them, but actually utilizing all five of them. Mm. And Bob, can we can we dial in on this, this last one? Sure. I, again, when you read the book, they all do kind of build off of each other. I think this last one, at least for the main character, Joe, was, was the big aha of receptivity, right? Right. Right. And as you say, and I love how you put it, because, you know, I think intuitively we sort of know, well, when you provide, you know, focus on providing value to others, that's necessary because why? Well, you know, as I often say, when I speak at sales conferences, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, Hmm. right? Nobody's going to buy from you because you need the money and nobody's going to buy from you just because you're a really nice person. People are going to do business with you. They're going to buy from you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And in the basically free market economy in which we operate, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one's forced to do business with anyone else. When you think about it, that's the only reason they should do business with you because they believe they'll benefit. Otherwise, why would they? So with that in mind, you know, we know that's great news because it means that entrepreneur that salesperson who is absolutely focused on bringing another person an immensely valuable valuable experience, a one who can focus again on that other person's needs, wants, and desires, that's the one who creates the context for the sale to take place. But it takes place not because the salesperson's focused on the money they're going to get, but rather on the value they're going to give. And this is why John and I say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means nothing more than that the value must come first. That must be the focus. The value comes first. The money you receive is a very natural and and direct result of the value you provide. So now we go into receptivity, the last us. So there's five of them. The first one's value, which is what you're giving. Mm-hmm. The last one is being able to receive, which a lot of people have a challenge with. Now, the, the law of receptivity says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. What does that mean? Really, it means that we understand that, yeah, you, you breathe out, 
but you've also got to breathe in, mm. right? Not only to thrive, but to actually survive. You can't just breathe out. You've got to breathe in as well. We breathe out carbon dioxide and we breathe in oxygen. It's not one or the other. We breathe out, which is giving. We breathe in, which is receiving. Now, giving and receiving are not opposite concepts, despite what the the messages from the world around us want us to think. Because, you know, you, you, when you really consider it, whether whether combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television, political campaigns, whatever, the negative messages about money, about prosperity, about abundance, about business, well, they absolutely abound. I mean, they're not mixed messages. They're just negative messages. Mm. And so, you know, so it, so it seems like, you know, giving and receiving must be two different things. No, they're simply two sides of the very same coin. They work in tandem. You're not a giver or a receiver. You're a giver and a receiver. Mm. However, it, it the focus needs to be on the giving. That This is a law of life. Uh, we plant before we harvest. Yeah. Right? I, we sow before we reap. I love the way that you, you say, you know, we focus on giving first and then receiving. I think there's a growing number of resources and studies and go-to business owner tips right now around this idea around this, this topic of when you give to someone, they feel like they have to give back. There's that, you know, example of that group of people who give like roses at the airport and right. they ask for your time. And there's the sense of, oh, if, if I give enough, people will feel like they have to give back to me so that I can win or make the sale or whatever it is. Yeah. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's more like giving as a way of manipulation. Right. And so the, the, what you're talking about there is the law of reciprocity and the law of reciprocity, mm. which was highlighted in Dr. Cialdini, Dr. Robert Cialdini's book, uh, yes. Influence, Science and Practice, a wonderful book, which talks in terms of principles and how people are. And yes, it's true. And he, he gives that great example of the Hare Krishna giving the flower to someone and then asking for a donation. And even though people know that's why they did it, they still felt this psychological need, which goes back to the cave person days, a survival need to give back in kind for what, you know, when receiving. Now, what we want to do is we want to give value to others, not so that they feel they have to, but that we create the context for them feeling good about us, feeling as though they know us, they like us, they trust us, and that they want to do business with us, not to even the score, not so that they don't feel guilty. If we have to do that again, that's manipulation. Okay. Yeah. There's no need for it because if we give with the idea of simply adding value to people's lives and we do this without attachment to the results and, and see, I hear a lot of people say, well, well, you giving without expectation. I, I know what, the, I think I know what they mean. What they mean is without attachment. Cause I want people to have good expectation. I want you to expect positive things to happen, but it means we don't base our sense of happiness and peace of mind upon someone else giving to us or doing something for us. So we give without attachment to mm. the results. We give because it's who we are and because it's who we are, it's what we do. And we plant these seeds of goodwill, of great will. Mm. We bring value to others in a way that they 
see it as being of value, not as we see it of being of value. And so we, we constantly create what we call the benevolent context for success. Wow. I love that. And, we, and then we've got to be able to receive. We've got to be able, we've got to allow ourselves to receive and not let those negative messages from the world around us that says money is bad and people with money ne necessarily did things horrible to get it. And, but, you know, all, all right. this horrible message, not, not to say there aren't people who do horrible things and have made a lot of money, you know, it's a big world, sure. but it, but to the degree you're living in the free market based economy in which most of us operate, no one's forced to do business with you. No one's forced to do business with Mitch Jackson. No one's forced to do business with me. Okay. To the degree that we operate in that, the only way we can do well and earn a lot of money is by pleasing a lot of people. Mm. Okay. And so we've got to be able to get past those negative anti-prosperity messages out there yeah. and and see and, and accept with gratitude, receive with love when we have earned that. Man, Bob, I really hope that my team captures as many golden nuggets as, as possible oh. out of this video because it's hard for you to go Thank a couple you. of minutes without dropping oh. you know, 10 really <laughs> great you. pieces of information. <laughs> I, but I, I, I really just want to highlight one of my takeaways there, which is that powerful distinction between the law of reciprocity and, and, and your law of right. receptivity. Right. That's really right. powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and again, it, it's not that there's anything right or wrong with reciprocity. It's just a principle. Now, right. can you use it to manipulate? Well, sure. Can someone use it against you in a manip? Yes. Don't let that happen and don't do it to anyone else. But reciprocity itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a principle. It's like gravity. You know, right. it, is it good or bad? It depends. If it keeps you from floating up into space, it's good. If you mm. walk off a seven-story building, it's bad. Okay, so I, reciprocity is simply a, a, a principle. And I thought Dr. Cialdini did a wonderful job of explaining it. Um, sure. in his book. Receptivity simply means you're open to receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And it reminds me again in your book, uh, I don't want to give, no, I guess okay. I don't have any spoilers here, but yeah, what's, okay. that's, what's that's... really interesting about the way the book ends is at least one of my takeaways was that the sales concern that the main character had throughout the book, mm -hmm. it kind of faded away by the end where now he was being a go-giver around a go-giver around a much more valuable yeah. thing to provide to people. Yeah. And, and so, I, I mean, I, I love the point you make there because I think what he saw is he, he saw it from a much bigger position. You know, mm -hmm. he saw that, you know, everything is part of the whole, it all, you know, works together. If he could concern himself only with what he could control, which was his actions, that what was going to work out was what was going to work out. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, whether that goes back to the stoic thinking and, uh, and, and you know, in other philosophies, uh, you know, Buddhist thinking. And I think most religious traditions probably have a lot of the same, the same principle in which when you act upon what you can control without attachment to the results, you actually place yourself in a much better position to have the results you want. Mm -hmm. But regardless mm -hmm. of whether they happen or not, you're, you have much more peace of mind. And, uh, you know, and I think that's what he, he began to go through because at first he was focused on what only on what he could get. That was his big thing. When he learned to shift his focus, you know, I often say we need to be internally motivated, but outwardly focused.
Mm. So, you know, when we can look at, at, at how we can, again, we say add value to provide value or give value to, or whatever, to that other person, that's much more likely to set that chain of events into action that will result in our receiving. So well said. And it reminded me, I wanted to ask you, Bob, as you know, a leading example of a go-giver yourself, as a fellow business owner, as someone who puts such a high priority on, on giving, on being available for conversations like these and being limited by your own calendar. I'm just curious, what, what does your calendar or the calendar of other go-givers that you work with tend to look like? How do they fit all that giving in? So I, it's a great question, Joey. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when they look at a title like The Go-Giver and they haven't maybe read the book, they kind of come up with their own definitions of what a go-giver means. Mm. So is a go-giver someone who just gives everything away? Oh, well, no, of course not. You'd go broke. You'd go out of business. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's not a good business plan. doesn't really serve anyone. Uh, no. Uh, does a go-giver not care about making a profit? Absolutely. That, that would be a false statement. In fact, a go-giver tends to make a bigger profit because a go-giver sells typically at the upper end of the price range, mm. price scale, because they're selling on value, on high value, not low price. Yeah. Okay. So a go-giver tends to be much more profitable. Do you give away everything? No, of course not. But what it means is your focus is on providing immense value to others. You give much more in value or use value than what you take in payment. So both parties actually win. In fact, in any market-based exchange, there should always be two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because each comes away better off afterwards than they were mm -hmm. beforehand. Uh, so now what you had brought up uh, about time, well, does a go-giver mean you have to say yes to everyone? Of mm -hmm. course not. If you did, you'd never, first of all, be able to get anything done. And all the things that you need to, to get done to be productive, we, most likely wouldn't get done. You would be just spread too thin. So a go-giver ends up saying no to most things, most requests, because as you as you, you get more and more successful, more and more people want you to do things and ask you to do more things. And while you'd love to, you know, and you'd love to help everyone uh, with every request, you know that it's just not something that, that you can do. So a go-giver will say no much more than they'll say yes. However, they will do it in a way that is kind, that's respectful, and that genuinely and authentically communicates value to the other person and, and allows mm -hmm. that person to know they are valued. And, and I think that's the key. But we always have to, you know, we always have to ask ourselves, and I remember Dan Kennedy uh, used to ask the question, is what I'm about to do right now the highest and best use of my time? Mm -hmm. And if we don't ask that question, we get in trouble because we say yes to things we should not be saying yes to. And that means we have to say no to the things we should be saying yes to. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's really, really well said. And something that I also wanted to ask you is, you know, I work with mostly two very different groups of people. With my law firm, I do trademarks and brand protections for a lot of coaches and course creators. And then I also work with a lot of law firm owners who I'm supporting them, helping them with growth strategies, helping mm -hmm. them become more thought leaders than just law firm owners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I bring this up because even though those are, are two very different niches that I'm working with, one common problem that I think both are having is 
a difficulty that they're having with growing their business is really at the offer level. Like what they say that they do creates some profit issues, either because they're focusing on solving a problem that's a, a smaller problem to fix, or you know, a lot of lawyers were selling very important, critical legal services that people aren't exactly knocking down windows mm -hmm. to find. Mm -hmm. Can you speak at all to the maybe focus on, on the lawyer side? If you're focused on something that people know is important, but it's not the sexiest thing that people see on their timeline, on their, on their feed, how can we best communicate the value there? So it always goes back to, you know, value being in the eyes of the beholder. Mm. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's looking first at the difference between price and value. Price is a dollar figure. It's a dollar amount. It's finite. It is what it is. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something mm. to the end user or beholder. So what is it about, about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth to another person that they will willingly uh, trade their their money or their time or their energy or their interest or whatever for this value. So it, and, and again, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. So yes, it might be a, a very important thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there's a challenge if the customer or the potential customer or client doesn't necessarily want it. So remember, they're not going to get it because you think they should. Right. 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 They're going to get it because they believe they'll be better off with it than they would be without it. So the question now becomes, how does that get communicated? Okay. So we've got to really get into the mind of that, that prospect. Now, how do we do that? Well, I would start by asking the people who already are using that service and have made that investment, what it is about this that was so powerful and why it was so important with the clients who really know, like, and trust you and have had these types of experiences, I would ask them in their, in their uh, endorsement, in their blurb, whether it's video or audio or just written, whatever, to actually answer some of the objections that you receive from the people who don't take up upon the service. So it mm -hmm. might be, you know, when I first looked at this, I knew that it was important, but it wasn't high on my priority list. I'm so glad I spoke with Kathy or with Tom or, you know, whomever uh, mm -hmm. so that they could educate me about this because it turned out to be not only rather important, but perhaps the best move I've, you know, whatever it would be. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the, so, but, so again, you're answering, you know, the objections of those people who would be looking at something like this and letting people who they relate to, right? And this is what Dr. Cialdini would call social proof, right? Look mm -hmm. at it, right? Um, actually make the sale for you, if you will, because they're answering those objections and they're explaining why it is so important in a way that uh, has so much credibility because this person who is, you know, maybe looking at it, but not that interested, it's one thing for the lawyer themselves to tell them why they should do it. It's another sure. thing for a peer to, to tell them. Oh, that's, that's really well said. Well, thank you for all of this, Bob. There's one more kind of line of questions I had, and I'll be quick with this. That's okay. Um, but for everybody who uh, is on LinkedIn, I highly recommend that you go follow Bob. Oh, uh, thank you. Not only is Bob a really powerful writer, uh, but he's also just a very powerful, I think, thinker. And you can see that with his, his post 
you're you just you do a great job, Bob, of taking either kind of common thoughts or people that things that people might disagree with originally and kind of digging into the weeds of that idea yeah. and dealing yeah. with the nuance. And I particularly loved the series of posts that you did around gossip. Oh, thank you. And I, I had never heard anybody talk about it this way before, but you you gave this definition that I immediately copy and pasted and sent to my team of drama and correct me, correct me on the wording here, but drama being information or, yeah. or saying anything about someone that is unnecessary. Yeah. Any, any type of harmful or hurtful information that's not absolutely necessary to share. Oh, yeah. So good. What motivated you to start talking about that topic? Well, because years, many, many years ago, I was a gossiper. And I was someone who gossiped. I listened to gossip. I participated in it. I, I encouraged it and never even thought about it, just did it. And then one day I was, I was reading a, an article where they were talking about, you know, gossip. And I, I thought, wow, you know, that sounds all too familiar. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was really me. And then there was a, a, a book that was written on the topic of gossip and I got that book and oh my gosh, I mean, I was just ashamed of myself when I realized how much I, so I decided to just blast that out of my system. And I, I kind of went on a quest to be gossip free. And while I certainly haven't nailed it a hundred percent, I'm probably 99% there. And very rarely do I ever, you know, and if I catch my, if I do, I catch myself right away. And so forth. So it's something I still have to be ever vigilant about. But I'll tell you, there is nothing that will harm an individual, both the gossiper and the pe person being spoken gossip about, mm -hmm. as well as a business organization, a family, a social circle, then will gossip. And while it's very natural to do, it is really to be avoided at all costs if you want a healthy, functional organism, such as yeah. a business, a family, friendship, what have you. When I shared this with my team, one of my team members asked, I thought, a really interesting question. You know, we're in a, a time right now, especially with the, the coaches and the course creators, where there are a lot of business experts out there. Mm -hmm. And it's becoming an increasingly common thing for people to have an experience where they invest in someone and it's not what they thought. They wouldn't recommend that service to other people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you... When it comes to avoiding gossip and that question of like being absolutely necessary, uh, right, uh, that's the key. Do you mm -hmm. see a, a responsibility that we as business owners have to speak up on that type of an issue? Sure. So remember, if you're protecting someone from some kind of harm, which could be financial harm, it could be personal harm, it could be mm. reputational harm, whatever then sure, you, you do have an obligation, if you choose to take that on, to, to speak up. Now, that said, we've also got to be very careful about that. Because mm -hmm. remember, a, a, an experience we have that we're not totally happy with doesn't mean it was necessarily the other person's fault or that they did something evil or wrong. You know, who knows if it was a misunderstanding. Uh, right. Also, what you would do is you would say just enough that you have to say to make the point. Mm as opposed to going on and on about things that aren't necessary to say, you know, saying that, uh, you know, reporting on what happened that I received this course while it wasn't what I thought it, it was. Uh, I did call in. I 
found out that, you know, three times I did not receive a call back when I finally was able to reach them. There was less than blah, blah, blah. Now that's fact that happened. Now, if you say, I have a feeling that the person also has bad breath, that's not sure. necessary to say, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so again, we just need to be careful by all means. Or if you think someone has, you know, someone has said that they, uh, are thinking of doing business with so-and-so and you happen to have heard from three people who are, who are credible people mm -hmm. that this person, then what you might want to do is privately message that person and say, I do not have any personal knowledge uh, of this. I have not done business with that person. I've heard things from others, people who I respect that causes me to think you might want to just maybe check with a few other people mm. to see their experiences, you know, get some references and recommendations. So, you know, again, you have to use your judgment in terms of that. But let's put it this way. If you enjoy the process of speaking bad about someone, it's probably gossip. Mm. If, if, if you, well if, yeah, if you're doing it in a way that you really would rather not be saying this, but you feel you owe it to someone to at least then it's probably okay. Again, just that's just a general rule that doesn't. I, no, but I think this was great, Bob. Thank you so much again for this for this conversation. Again, I can't recommend highly enough the the books that you have, the people follow you on Instagram. Is there any other place online that you would recommend that people go to to learn more to to continue to follow you, Bob? Yeah, you know, if if people would like, they can they can go to Berg B U R G dot com, and if they'll scroll down the page about, uh, you know, I think a couple of frames. I should probably know since it's my own website. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can relate to that, but <laughs> uh, I think it's one, two, yeah, two, just two two kind of frames. They're going to see something that says the Go-Giver Success Alliance, Bob Berg's mentorship community. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'll see four people sitting at a, a table drinking coffee, which if you've read the book, you know it's Rachel's famous coffee, the cafe. Uh, but this is just uh, an online uh, membership community. And if people would like to check that out, they're welcome to do so. Fantastic. And I was going to ask because I saw that. Um, is that a newer community or has that been going for a while? Yeah, we've had it probably for six months. Okay. Yeah. And Great. we have these amazing, Congrats. amazing live conversations. But then for the rest of the week, actually, Mitch Jackson is the one who suggested I do that. Smart. And he walked my business partner, Kathy Tage, and I through the whole part about setting it up and what we should do. And so it's actually, so it's it's on mighty the Mighty Networks platform, which mm. is its own separate private platform. Great. And so aside from our weekly conversation, and these are just just amazing because we've got all these great successful people from different businesses sharing all this information. We also, for the other days during the week, there's also all sorts of connections. I put, I post content that I don't post anywhere else and it's just a, a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, I know I'll be checking that out. I hope others do the same. Bob, thank you again so, so much for your time. Uh, and again, everybody check out the book if you haven't. It's definitely a classic. Uh, thank you, Joey. And thanks for having me on. You're just a, you're a great guy. You're one of life's real good people. And oh. I just appreciate you. Well, same. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. I will see you next week. Bye. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn the